We exist to see God glorified and churches multiplied by declaring and displaying the gospel. And when we say God glorified, what we mean is that we exist for the purpose of seeing God receive praise, worship, honor, glory, credit, and fame. We believe that he is due. And so we want to spend our lives, our words, everything pointing back to Jesus. Right? It's why when you come here, we say our one desire is that when you leave here, that you'll marvel at Jesus more. that we chose the name Emmaus, the vision of our church is that we want to be a people who declare who Jesus is from all of the scriptures, that we talk about him, we proclaim him here in this pulpit, we do it in our kids ministry, through our songs, through our confessions, through the scriptures that we read, we do it with our neighbors and with our co-workers and with our children at home, that we are a people who declare who Jesus is and that as Jesus is being declared. Hearts are burning with the truth of who he is and eyes are being opened to believe it and there's faith being planted in the hearts of men and women. We want to see this transformation take place in people all across our city. That's what we're about. That's what we will spend ourselves on as long as God sees fit to leave a church called Emmaus in existence. There we go. So our scripture reading uh, this morning is going to be Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, through Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 4, and then we're going to go to verse 73 of chapter 7. So it's Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, to chapter 7, verse 4, and then to verse 73, one final time, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, to seven chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 7, verse 4. And then on to verse 73. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. And Tobiah's letters came to them, for many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Aram, and his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Now... When the wall had been built and I had set up the doors and the gatekeepers, the singers and the Levites had been appointed, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot, and while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. In verse 73, So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, 
Some of the people, the temple servants in all Israel, lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. Good morning. It's good to see you today. My name is Josh. If you're um, a visitor with us, and thanks for being here with us today. It's our joy to have you with us today. And we'd love to, uh, to meet you after the service, get to know you, stop by the Connect table in the lobby, and, and introduce yourself, and ask us any questions you want. We'd love to give you a gift there as well, so please feel free to stop by there and, um, and do that. Hey, two, two announcements for us coming up. Um, one uh, is that uh, tonight, members, is members meeting, and so don't forget three, I guess actually this afternoon, three until five uh, this afternoon at Northland Baptist Church. We'll be baptizing, welcoming in, I believe, 26 new members, or voting on those 26 six new members to come in to the church, and, and they're giving a series of just exciting updates that have uh, been going on here um, as a church as well, so make, make sure you're planning on, on being there with us. And then if you've been visiting with us and you're interested in membership in Emmaus, interested in taking that next step towards joining us as part of our covenant family here, uh, then we'd love to talk to you about what that means. You can stop by the connect table, talk with one of our pastors afterwards, um, but you could also just mark on your calendars June 14 and 15, Friday night and Saturday is the beginning of the next step towards that membership. So that's a Friday night and Saturday that we do a thing called Membership Weekend, and you can come those two days, learn about Emmaus, learn what it means to be a member here, learn what we believe, um, what it, it really means to be a covenant member um, through all of that aspect, and we'd love to walk through that process with you. Again, that's June 14 and 15. Hey, let, let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive into this. While I'm praying for you, I'm going to ask that you pray for me this week. It's been a week filled of distractions. Um, and stresses and, and heartaches in, in my life this week. And so just ask you to pray for me, um, a special prayer as we begin to, to, to dive into this, that my mind and my heart would just be right in this text this week. So would you do that for me as I do that for you? And Jesus, you are very, very kind to bring us here today. Thank you for gathering us in a place where we can sing of who you are, pray to you, knowing that you'll hear, that you'll answer, that we can open up the scriptures that you have given us, your word for us, and that we can see what you would have to say to us. I pray that today um, you would speak to the hearts of men and women in this room through the power of the Spirit, through your word, that lives would be transformed, that some would step into salvation, that many would learn and grow from your scriptures today. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 through chapter 7, verse 73. Aren't you glad we didn't read all of those verses? In case you didn't look ahead to see why did we not read those verses, it is not because there's something hidden that we don't want you to know about. Right? It's not because there's some great scheme within there that if you found out, if you read those verses, uh, you would be all of a sudden just realize Christianity is false. Right? There's, there's nothing we're hiding here. It is verse after verse of um, this clan had this many people. Right? This clan had this many people, and this clan had this many people. It's a genealogy census, right? And so um, we, we are overlooking it. We're going to talk about it today, and we're going to look at two verses in it um, for the sake of time to not read through that today. We do find ourselves in chapter 6, verse 15 to begin. And in chapter 6, verse 15, picking up on last week, we find ourselves in this place that you and I have been in many times. Right? This place where we have been in a season of... A season of, of, of hard work, of long labor, of exhaustion, of stress, of tiredness, of attack, 
of emotional instability, of, of brokenness, of fear, of anxiety. This, this season where throughout that season, all you can do is just go, it will end. Right? This has to end. I will get through this. There will be a day where this season's over, and when that day comes, I get to rest. Right? It's that idea that when this season's done, I'm going to sit back into the cushions of my couch, kick my feet up, lay my head back, and take a nap. It's a rest. Nehemiah must be close to that building. For 52 days, he's been building these walls. For 52 days, he's been organizing and structuring and leading groups of people to build these walls. 52 days of building the fortress around the city. 52 days of trying to keep unity amongst the, the people of God. 52 days of trying to organize and plan resources that are coming in. 52 days of facing opposition from without. 52 days of facing his reputation being slandered, false accusations being set against him. 52 days of, of his life being threatened, the people threatening to sneak in and kill him by night. 52 days of his own trusted people betraying him and trying to lure him into sin. 52 days of exhaustion. And you expect to hear, at this moment, in the verse we're about to read, it to be followed by, and so he was able to rest. That's not where it goes. In an almost overly simplistic way, it says in verse 15, so the wall was finished. So the wall was finished. We arrived. The season is over. The building is done. The wall is complete. So Nehemiah laid down under a tree and took a nap. But what we're about to see is that just because the wall is complete does not mean the opposition is it. Just because the fortress has been built does not mean the attacks will cease. The wall is finished. But verse 16, And when all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and felt greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid. I absolutely love what is happening here. The wall is complete. And all of those around them, all of the enemies who have surrounded them, all the enemies who have made threats, there's fear that has struck them. Right? They realize that what has happened here is, is great. Right? They're afraid, and they fell, it says, greatly in their own eyes. Right? They're brought to humility in their own eyes. They think less of themselves now. They realize they're not as great as they thought they were. Why? Because of Nehemiah's leadership? Because of the hard work of the, of the Jews? It says because they perceived that God had helped the work be done. Their fear is because of God. Here's why I love this church. I love this because of what was prayed in Nehemiah chapter 4. I love it because of what was prayed in Nehemiah chapter 4. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 4, Nehemiah prays that God would turn back their taunt upon their own head. God, would you turn back their taunts upon their own head? 
And in verse, chapter 6, verse 16, we see God answering this prayer. In chapter 6, verse 16, we see God answer this. Because in chapter 6, verse 9, it says, For all they wanted to do was frighten us. They sent an open letter against Nehemiah and against the people of God to frighten them. And then in chapter 6, verse 13, he says that the purpose of this false prophet who was trying to deceive him and lure him into the temple to sin, that the, the purpose of this false prophet was to frighten him. And now in chapter 6, verse 16, we see it is not Nehemiah who's afraid, but it is the enemies. Lord, you turn their taunts back upon their own heads. And in chapter 6, verse 16, God answers it with a yes. He does. Pastoral charge number one. We're going to do it a little different today. We're going to charge you as we go throughout. Pastoral charge number one, church. Pray to God who is able to answer your prayers and to defend his own glory. Pray to him. Too often our prayers are absent because we doubt that God cares, hears, or responds. Too often our prayers are faithless because we doubt that he has the power to answer in any meaningful way. Too often our prayers are selfish, caring more for our own comforts and our own justice than God's glory. And therefore, too often our actions are private. We jump to defend ourselves, to retaliate for ourselves, to find revenge for ourselves rather than trusting God who says that vengeance is his. We hold our anxieties and our stresses and our hurts and our oppositions tightly in an attempt to look strong and to overcome them on our own instead of humbling ourselves before the mighty hand of God and casting our anxieties upon the one who cares, as we see in 1 Peter. But yet our challenge to us today is to pray to a God who is able to answer our prayers and to defend his own glory. Nehemiah's prayers throughout this have not been for his own defense, but for the defense of God's glory. And God answers them. He hears, and he responds. And he's able to do something that Nehemiah and the people of God were not able to do in and of themselves. He's able to cast fear into the hearts of the enemy. He's able to turn their tongues back upon their heads. And Nehemiah's weapon? Prayer and faithfulness. Prayer and faithfulness. So church, pray that God is able to answer your prayers and defend his own glory. And again, at this point, you feel that Nehemiah may be at that point where he's able to sit down and rest and keep up his feet. God, God has answered. The wall is complete. The taunt has been turned back upon the enemy. There's fear throughout them. Surely they're silent. Surely they're shrieking back. Surely they're hiding under the kitchen table in the field position. He's ready to just sit and relax now. But their attack is not over. Verses 7 through 19. 17 through 19. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah. And Tobiah's letters came to them. For many of Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of she Shechaniah, the son of Aram. And his son, Jehonanan, had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. And also they spoke of his good deeds in my presence, and reported my words to him. And Tobias sent letters, excuse me, and Tobias sent letters to make me afraid. We see that the attacks are still going. The purpose is still there to make Nehemiah afraid. And this time Tobiah does it through his friendships, through his allegiances. We see here that he's tied closely to many of the prominent families among the Jews. 
He even has relational ties to the high priests. He's tied by marriage. He's tied by political alliances and oaths. And Tobiah uses these to gain allegiance to himself and to raise opposition against Nehemiah. He's working his relationships so that he would be justified and people would come to his side and turn against Nehemiah. And we even begin to see that people who once were loyal to Nehemiah's building of the wall are now turning against him and joining Tobiah. And it says that they were bringing letters to Nehemiah. And that they were telling Tobiah everything Nehemiah was doing and saying. And that's how it played out. There were spies for Tobiah, telling him all that Nehemiah would do or to say. Nehemiah must have been in this place of, who do I trust? Who can I trust? People who have been close and loyal are now turning to his allegiance. People who are within my chambers are telling him what I'm saying and what I'm doing. Who is going to trust now? But not only that, they're coming to Nehemiah from Tobiah. And they're bringing to him word. They're telling him about all the good things Tobiah is doing. They're bragging on him. Have you heard what Tobiah is doing now? He's such a great guy. Oh, Tobiah helped this person. He's so generous. Oh, Tobiah is such a strong leader. And through the process, they're casting doubt. They're casting, casting discouragement and disloyalty onto the lap and into the heart of Nehemiah. And they're doing it to make him afraid. So even though the enemy was afraid, even though their taunts have been turned back to their own heads, even though God's hand is at work, the enemy did not cease its opposition. Did not cease its attacks. Which leads us to pastoral charge number two today, church. Pastoral charge number two is this. Rest is coming, but it's not here yet. Stay faithful. Rest is coming, but it's not here yet. Stay faithful. By rest, I'm not talking about taking a day off this week. I'm not talking about Sabbathing. The scripture is clear. You should Sabbath. You should rest spiritually, emotionally, physically. You should take a day off. If you haven't had a day off in a while, you should do that. It's good for you. We're talking about a rest, a, a spiritual rest, in the sense of a rest from the attacks of the enemy coming our way. A rest in the sense of letting our guard down and allowing the enemy to have access to attack us. See, Nehemiah knows that just because he had a victory yesterday doesn't assure there's a victory today. If there is the danger of attack at any point, and the enemy does not back away because of the wall being built. For the enemy of God does not kick its feet up and take a nap. It doesn't take a break. It doesn't cease attacking when it's humbled. And it doesn't pull back its troops when it's afraid. If anything, when the enemy feels threatened this way, it strengthens its force. It comes viciously. Fear and humility cause the enemy to strike out, and any chance to discredit at any chance to discredit God, any chance to justify self, any last-ditch effort to pull you down with it. The enemy of God does not, or the enemy of God does not let up his attack just because you've had a season of victory. There's no rest from his attack. The enemy was not attacking brick and mortar. I experienced concern were not concrete walls being built. It was the glory of God being present among the people of God and set forth from the people of God. 
so he's still attacking that. A wall being completed and not silence the enemy. Many of you know this all too well. You've had a day in your life of conviction or life change. You've had a moment, whether it's in a service like this, or it's at a retreat, or it's in your personal time with the Lord, or a conversation with a friend about, about Christ and about the scriptures and about the gospel, and you've had this life-altering moment where all of a sudden the light has come on and you found victory and you've had confession of sin. There's been repentance. There's been walking for days in victory, and then all of a sudden there's attack. Almost out of the blue, like you, like you didn't expect it to come. The attack came. Church, expect it to come. Expect it today, expect it again tomorrow, expect it every day as long as you're on this, on this planet, as long as your eyes are open in this life, expect the attacks of the enemy. He seeks to oppose the glory of God in your life. And he will not release his attacks just because you had a moment of victory today. So Christian, lift up your chin, put on your sneakers, get ready to run again and again, today and tomorrow. And when you get tired, look to Jesus and keep running. Run to him, but don't let down your guard. Right? Don't take a break from faithfulness. Don't think for a second that you are in the clear temptation and attack from the enemy until your eyes close on this life and they open on the face of Christ in eternity. You are under attack. Stay alert. Stay faithful. Stay alert and stay faithful. Rest from this onslaught is coming, believer, but not yet. Stay faithful. Chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. We see here Nehemiah's plan where Nehemiah decides to stay faithful and he sets up protection. Look at verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 1. Now when the wall had been built, I had set up the doors, and the gatekeepers, the seniors, and the Levites had been appointed. I gave my brother Hanani, and Hananiah, the governor of the castle, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a more faithful and God-fearing man than many. And I said to them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun is hot. And while they are still standing guard, let them shut and bar the doors. Appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, some at their guard posts, and some in front of their own homes. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been rebuilt. So Nehemiah does this to protect the city. He sets up gatekeepers at the gate. You're guarding the gates. He puts others with him to guard the gates. He enlists the citizens to guard the city. He starts a neighborhood watch, if you will. Watch from your houses. Look over the walls. Watch the streets. Be on guard. And then he even sets regulations that the gates of the city would be closed at specific times of day where he were more vulnerable to an attack. He puts up guard against the enemy's attacks. And in light of this, our pastoral charge, our third pastoral charge is this. Enlist guards and defend each other against the enemy. Enlist guards for yourself and defend each other against the enemy. Our what time is it question reminds us here. Right? That what time is it question that we've been asking as we go through this series reminds us here that, that what we are guarding is not a city of walls. Right? What we are guarding is not this theater. We don't have gatekeepers at the gate. I mean, we have a safety team, sort of gatekeepers at the gate. <laughs> right? But we don't put that up to spiritually protect this room as people are coming in. What we are protecting are the people of God. Like the people of God from the attacks and the onslaught. And what we see here is that, that there is a principle that you and I should protect ourselves by enlisting 
people to fight with us, to be on guard with us, to defend us, and that we should do that for each other. Right? This is the practical to pastoral charge number two. Rest is not here yet, so stay faithful. This is how to stay faithful in this, to put up guard and to defend each other. Right? So what can we learn from them and how to do this? Well, one, we must place gatekeepers and watchers over our lives. Right? These people watch for attacks that we might not see coming. And these people fight for us when we're under attack. These are people who have access to our hearts and our lives and see, uh, to see and to know and to correct and to encourage. If you're walking in isolation as a Christian, you are extremely vulnerable to defeat. And just because you're in a community group members does not mean that you're walking in actual openness with others to guard you can walk into a room with other people every week and place no one in your lives to guard you and fight with them. No one can force you to walk this way. It's your choice to enlist people to fight for you, to guard you, and to watch you through your openness and your vulnerability and your confession. Right? We invite this through our confession of sins to one another. We invite this through close friendship of people who know us. We do this through biblical community of the church fighting with us. And so we place gatekeepers and watchers over our lives. We must place extra protection during vulnerable times in our lives. Right? So which requires that you know when you're vulnerable. Which often requires that you invite someone in to tell you when they see you being vulnerable. Because few of us actually realize the moments of our vulnerability. And so in those moments of vulnerability, those moments where, where we are more susceptible to attack, we place extra guards like they close the gates. This is a season, this is a time, this is a period, this is a moment where I'm vulnerable, so I'm going to close the gates. I'm going to bring extra protection of people around me. I'm going to make changes in my life, close the gates in my life in certain ways to avoid ward off the attack. For example, if you're vulnerable to lust and porn when you're at home alone, then don't be at home alone. See, that sounds awfully restrictive. Not as much so as since hold on. If you're vulnerable to gossip when you're in the break room at work, don't go in the break room at work. If you're vulnerable to fear and anxiety and covetousness when you're on social media, Get rid of your accounts. If you're easily angered and speak harshly when you're tired, go to bed. Putting extra guards up in our lives to protect us, to watch us. Because the enemy loves to attack and move vulnerable spots. He is not resting. We must be a guard. <coughs> Thirdly, within being on guard, we must have faithful, God-fearing people leading us. Nehemiah appoints two men to lead, and he says the reason is because we're more faithful and God-fearing than most. But this applies in this setting to the shepherds of your church, your elders. And it's awkward to brag on myself, so let me brag on the other three. Right? I believe strongly the Lord has placed very faithful men over this church to lead. They are faithful to Jesus and God here. 
He's been so encouraging in the recent months to get an overwhelming amount of emails and letters and texts from you, the members of the church, thanking the pastors for faithfully leading them. I'm glad that you see that because these men do. These men do. It also applies to people that you would allow into your life to have leadership, mentorship, influence over you. Be so careful those people are people who are God-fearing, faithful. Those you turn to for counsel, God-fearing, faithful. And then we see in verse 4 through 73. Let me read verse 4 and 5. The city was wide and large, but the people within it were few, and no houses had been built. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found a book of the genealogy of those who came up at first, and I found written in it lots of names and lots of numbers. So here's the situation. The walls have been rebuilt. The city is ready to be populated, but there's nobody living there. The, the city's empty because there's not homes that have been rebuilt for the people to live in. The city's empty because people are still living in their villages and in their towns outside the city walls. And Nehemiah knows a number of things, among which are one, that the city is vulnerable as long as the people of God are not residing within the city. And two, that just because there's walls does not mean that God gives glory. It's the worship of God within the temple in that city that would bring God glory. It's the faithfulness of the people in their worship. So Nehemiah knows the city must be repopulated. So he feels led, he says, by God to take a census to repopulate the city. And so he finds the record that Ezra had taken. And he brings it forth and they read it and they find here are the numbers of people who have come up and here are the people who, who live in each clan and we will repopulate the, the city fairly from these numbers. He's doing a census to find out who's moving into the city, who's getting relocated. And so they begin this process. And in this process, we could just find that they are verses about repopulating the city. I believe there's a very spiritual thing for us to see. So pastoral charge number four, Christ followed follower of Jesus, Christian, God has not forgotten you. He has and he will faithfully preserve his children. He's not forgotten you. He has and he will faithfully preserve his children. The purpose of this census is, is to repopulate Jerusalem. It's so that the people of God remain in existence and remain faithful to God. There's no Messiah if the people of God are wiped out here. So if people of God are decimated, then there is no Messiah, for the Messiah has been prophesied to come from the people of God. God is committed to his people and to his plan of redemption, and he remained faithful to them. This census shows that God was faithfully keeping his people the whole time, even when it looked like he had abandoned them. Even when it looked like he had abandoned them. Even when they were in exile, the entire time they were scattered. Even when Jerusalem was decimated, and the rebuilding of the temple had been ceased by the command of the king. And even when the walls were destroyed, and when the opposition was threatening to kill them, every time it appeared that God had abandoned them, he had not. He had remained faithful to them. He was constantly faithful to them, and now he was repopulating the city with those whom he had numbered by name. 
He was doing so in preparation for Messiah, who would come from these people, the lineage of David to save the world. Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 5, says this, Has God rejected his people? By no means. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you know that the scriptures say of Elijah, how he appealed to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And so too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Throughout all the history of redemption, God has kept a remnant of people for himself, whom he foreknew and whom he chose by his grace. And he has been faithful to them, to preserve them, to keep them for the purposes of his plan, of his salvation, for his glory. Throughout all of history and forevermore, this would be true. But God created all things. Call it good. And then sin into the world through the deceptive attacks of the enemy. Not much different than perhaps than what Nehemiah is facing. Sin entered the world to be accepted the attacks of the enemy, and Adam and Eve, mankind, was convinced that they should receive God's glory instead of bringing God's glory. So they disobeyed God. And when they did sin, fractured all things. It shattered the innocent and the righteous relationship between man and God, and fractured all other relationships that would come. God promised to send a child who would crush the head of the serpent. To offer redemption for all who place their faith in him. And God kept his people through all of their rebellion, through all of their unfaithfulness. He kept them. Even when it looked like he abandoned them, he kept them. Moving towards the promise of this child. And God the Father sent his son, Jesus, to be born and take on the flesh of man. Jesus was tempted in every way you and I are, and yet without sin. He lived a perfect life. And then he died a sacrificial death on the cross. And then, after being buried for three days, he rose from the dead, victoriously, defeating sin and death. And listen to this. Christian and unchristian alike, listen. If you place your faith in Jesus, if you believe that he is God's son, you believe that you are a sinner, helpless, and helpless in and of yourself before God to make yourself right with God. And you believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and resurrected from the dead. You will be saved. Right? If you believe this, you will be saved not by your own ability, but by Jesus. It is this plan that God has set forth that brings life, that brings salvation. Jesus' perfection is your perfection, though you are not perfect. Jesus' death is your justification, though you sin. His resurrection is now your resurrection, though you are dead. Christian scripture tells us that God foreknew you, and it tells us that he has been faithful to you, even when you didn't know it, 
even when you doubted it, even when you ran from it, he was faithful to you. To bring this plan of salvation and to continue the plan of salvation to its completion. He is faithful. He's not forgotten you. In your sin, Christian, he has not forgotten you. In your doubt, he has not forgotten you. In your suffering, he has not forgotten you. When you question, he has not forgotten you. He remembers. He is faithful. Praise God, it's by grace. And then pastoral charge number five. Pastoral charge number five is a warning. And the warning is this. Be sure your name is recorded in heaven and you are welcome to the eternal feast. Be sure your name is recorded in heaven and you are welcome to the eternal feast of the Lamb. Let me show you this in this text. Chapter 7, verse 63. Also, of the priests, the sons of Hobiah, the sons of Hakas, the son of Barzillai, who had taken a wife of the daughters of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and was called by their name, these sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies. But it was not found there. So they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. And the governor told them that they were not to partake in the most holy food until a priest with Urim and Thummim should arise. There are men among these people who claim to be priests. They claim to be of the lineage of priests. Yet what they have done is they have married women of the world. They have betrothed themselves to the world. And now when they go to find their names in the genealogy, there's no record of their being part of the family of the priests. So they are named unclean. And they are kept from the holy food. Now this could just be Nehemiah going, and this is why they were not priests. But let's not miss the spiritual significance we see here. Right, that the scriptures are very clear to us, church. That there are many who claim to be right with God, claim to be of the family of Christ, claim to be in his lineage. And yet when the names are looked at in the book, their name's not there. Christ said, depart from me, I'm removed. Oh, my name's in the book. Church, this is so important for us. Because these priests, they never anticipated that it was their names that would be left out. And those who are here at glory say, This is this is why I should be here, this is why my name should be in the book. To be told no. We get to that place without ever thinking we were the ones who would get to that place. Of broken confidence. See, Josh, that's great. How can I know? Do you believe the gospel of Jesus explained? Do you believe the gospel of Jesus Christ? His death, 
burial, and resurrection. Have you placed your faith in that and that alone? You say, well, how do I know? I, like, I hear that, I understand. How do I know if I believe in that? Jesus said, do you obey me? Do you keep my commandments? And so, I believe there's many unbelievers in the room today who need to address this. There's some of you in this room who need to address this today. You need to address whether or not you actually know Christ. For some of you, you don't know the Christ that we talk about. You know that clearly. You have not put your faith in that gospel, but you have assurance that you and God are right in another way. I heard of someone this week who just said the phrase, God and I have an arrangement. He said, unless that arrangement is the one he gives us in Scripture about the person of Christ, it's a bad arrangement. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father above by me. Is that your arrangement? Is that your faith? Is that your trust? Is that your only hope? But for some of us who have claimed to be of the lineage of Christ, perhaps for many years, we should do some looking into our lives. Because for some of us, we look and we see that we might actually be more betrothed to this world than we are to Christ. That Christ's statement of, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments, might actually not be applying to us very well. And if so, we just have some serious questions to ask. Some looking to do. Some praying to do. Where am I at with Christ? Don't be caught. On the day of judgment, thinking your name is in the list and it's not. Place your faith in Jesus. Leave him in life. Every week at Emmaus, we take communion. We do this to remember what Christ has done and to look forward to what he will do. Or that he has been faithful to us. God has been faithful to his room. He's been faithful to his children. Throughout the plan of salvation, throughout all of redemption, he has been faithful to bring you and to save you, and he will continue to be until the day that we get to break holy bread with Christ in the Feast of the Lamb. So we come and we take this in remembrance of that. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, we invite you not to come take that. I don't come take this bread and this juice today, rather take Jesus. Take Jesus, put your faith in him, and be saved today. He promises that all who come to him in faith will be saved. Come to him today. Let me pray for you and you can come to him. And Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your, your assurance that you're faithful to your children. And so today, may your children in this room know that you are looking upon them, that you see them, that you hear them, that you answer their prayers, that you are faithful to them. May they trust you evermore today. Jesus, would you save any in the room who do not know you, who have not placed their faith in you, would you convict them, would you be this room, so that they might be life. Oh,
Thank you for watching this Amaze KC podcast. More information about Amaze KC can be found available online at www.amazekc.com.